Hey guys, welcome back to the Blue Collar Off-Road Podcast. This is episode four. I'm with uh, Richie, myself, Graham, and Luke today. Uh, Cody was busy, so he's not able to join us. But I think today we're going to be talking about a few things, actually. Uh, what we're thankful for in the off-road community in the spirit of you know Thanksgiving and you know, November and the holiday season in general. Um, give a weekly recap, as we're trying to do. Just see what happened during the week. Uh, favorite most used tools and really the progression of tools. So we'll see, we'll see how far that conversation goes. But, um, Luke, do you want to kick us off with, uh, what you're thankful for? All right. I'm going to say I am thankful for the experience I have gained through off-roading. Um, I went from knowing how to do like brakes and minor car stuff, you know, change a shock to learning about how to fully run a nice speed and do gears um and it fit with my progression in my trade and you know the cliche thing of all the fucking people are awesome we've done ball joints on the side of the trail you know uh well the guys running out we're putting or we're disassembling the rig for him we've done a bunch of good stuff like that and it's really become like a lifestyle as cliche as that sounds, but you know, it is what it is. It's pretty much awesome. Yep, and I'll piggyback off that. The people I've met are awesome. Uh, the experiences that I've you know, been thrown into because of because of the hobby is have been great. You know, adventure, misadventure, whatever you want to call them. Uh, there's plenty of both. Uh, I've got more stories to tell from this hobby, and uh, you're just getting to and from the events and actually driving through the events and, and through properties that you know, just more than I can count really. Richie. Oh, you so add what you're thankful and to for? <laughs> piggybacking off the both of you, just the experiences and the people I've had arguably some of the best moments of my life have all been directly through the sport yep just very fond memories that i know i'll hold on to forever yeah i'm never going to forget waking up at battlegrounds and like just walking out and looking down the mountain range as the sun's coming up that was a it's burned in my memory you know Mm. it was i'll never forget i'll never forget your dog saving my life by cuddling with me at Roush because I was freezing my ass off. Yeah, well, we did that in the traditional rock crawler camping style of, well, at that point in time, we couldn't even buy beer yet. I was just barely able to buy tobacco. So mm-hmm. uh, that was supplied. But yeah, it was like throw blankets, uh, two air mattresses, and away we went. Are, are you kidding me? I only packed sleeveless shirts and shorts for that trip. <laughs> what? When was this? Uh, that was uh, back in like. It was right after July our senior of year, 2014. Yeah, you're right. So we we went born. down on my birthday. Yeah, except for the fact that it hit like upper 30s our first night there. Damn. It. I don't and think it was that I was in cold. Short. I don't I think know. It felt a little that bit cold. of exaggeration. <laughs> Oh, it most definitely is an exaggeration, but it sure as hell felt that cold. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Ah, that was a good trip, though. And I, I just cuddled up to Luke's little pupper all night long. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to call a 65-pound pit bull little. But little pupper. They're all yeah, little puppers. Yeah, she was a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you guys... Never mind. Uh, I'm sorry. I had weekly a thought recap. forming there. Yeah, weekly recap, but I was going to try and do like a really fancy transition, and instead I totally fucking blew it. No, so fine. we're just going to run with it. Weekly uh, recap. We all did the same thing for the most part, just uh, in separate sections. We uh, we were hosting an open run for the NEA as Backyard Built Off-Road, and um, I was leading the black group. Luke was riding along and spotting for the red group, and Kish, you were in the, the blue group. So we've all got sort of different, we all went on different trails for the most part and we're doing different things. And we had a couple interesting situations happen in the black group. And I'm 
you're not a hundred percent sure how how some of the red group stuff and the blue group stuff went. Uh, I feel like my group definitely had the most problems just based on the radio chatter. Uh, we had a you know, track bar break, uh, you sheared a welded on bracket, and a, a steering box rip out of the frame. So lots of difficult breaks to deal with, and you know when we're in the middle middle of the property, you know it's not a huge property, but it's not a small property. And when you've got a serious break like a track bar or a steering box that inhibits your ability to steer, uh, it becomes much more complicated to get people off the trail. Fortunately, we had you know a bunch of guys willing to jump in and help. Um, the The steering box break was probably preventable. We had an issue early in the day where his upper bolt had uh, sheared slightly. It didn't break, but it had sheared the stiffener. Sorry, and the it had it had all come loose, so the steering wasn't wasn't working quite right. And the fix we did for that was just I think we just tightened it all down. There was nothing more than that, and. You know, not not yeah. even twenty minutes later, the rest of the the box was uh, that should was, have was fully been, ripped uh, through. But if it ripped off, that should have been or not like ripped off, but like ripped the stiffener chunk. That should have been like a screaming red flag. Yeah, uh, I mean, but then again, you know, these things happen. You're considering the order of events here. Uh, I'll, I'll, we had the steering box come loose, and then the guy who had gone back up the trail to yank him up. He, he, the steering box was having problems. He was in the middle of a, a hill climb. So we had to strap him up, yank him up the rest of the, the hill so we could work on flat ground and tighten that back up. And when the guy who was pulling him went back down the trail, there's this, this rocky uh, downward slope that articulates you quite a bit, depending on how you hit it. Uh, he, he found out he couldn't, he couldn't turn right anymore. He was going down pretty slow, just, uh, trying to be careful and he couldn't turn right anymore and his steering was fully locked to the right and the wheels were straight and it, it, it didn't really look too bad when you were looking at it from 15 feet away but as soon as we got up closer we were like oh your track bar is not even connected anymore it's it's hanging on by a thread it had sheared uh from the bracket the, the bracket must have been cut and shortened to get it to a shorter length so it wouldn't it would clear with uh you know, with the steering and the axles. However, however, the setup was, I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure how how that was supposed to be. But uh, either way, it sheared and it had broken the sides off. And the only piece holding it on was the the bit of it that's parallel with the frame rail. So it was at a ninety degree bend, uh, rocking back and forth. And eventually, it did break off. But um, oh, that's not fun. Yeah, there, there's no good way to fix that we ended up winching him winching the body back underneath the axle ratchet strapping it down so he could drive straight because the, the trail went straight down a hill and then turned to the left a little bit so mm -hmm. we just drove him straight into the trees so people could get past him and we we left it there till we could figure out how we were going to get him out because he was stuck in between you know a an upward hill i'd say it was probably like a Probably a blue trail. Yeah, and I know up. where you guys were kind of near Split Rock, if I remember right. Like, uh, yeah. one of the trails goes off over there. I broke my bracket right in the same area. I was down in the backside of the property, and thankfully I had a 30 and 35, so we were able to ratchet strap it back into position. But yeah, with, that a, with a Super Duty 60, it's it's a little tougher to, to hold that all in place. Is that but, a Super um, Duty? Or was it, uh, it earlier? Because it looked like those hubs were huge. Now that I think about it more, but yeah, I, I wasn't yeah, looking too, too close at it. Either way, it was a sixty. It was a big axle. It wasn't oh, yeah. a thirty. So that was, um, you know, definitely a tough one to deal with when we have minimal tools on the trail. We didn't have a full kit to, you know, uh, strap them up with a million ratchet straps. We've only got so many, and yeah. We, we it's not like we had a, a welder on board anybody's rig to to just burn it back together so we did leave that for a little bit we did end up coming back later in the day um after the some old... of the other groups had had cleared out uh we had some extra manpower to go in with some batteries and a, a 
you know, 7010 rod, I assume, to, to burn that in. You know, three three batteries will will burn in solid to a quarter inch plate. So if you've got three rigs and a couple jumper cables and some 7010 rod, you can probably fix any trail break and get it out. Yeah. Yeah, that is a fun way to do it, though. It's uh, very little. I'd never control. seen it done before. It was that was the first time. No, nope. Shit, I remember one time driving around uh, Winstead. I stopped at uh, Cumbies to get some gas, and the kid at the pump next to me is underneath his pickup truck with his own cart with his own truck's battery and a uh, metal coat hanger trying to fix his exhaust because it was like it broke and the broken end was digging into the pavement as he was driving <laughs> yeah but you're also talking about Winstead. At a gas pump you're talking about goddamn Winstead right there you're lucky if they have more than six teeth sometimes <laughs> uh-huh yeah but just, just it, it astounded me at a gas pump. Mm. yes oh god Winstead is but horrifying yeah Luke, Either way. What about some of the, uh, hey, hey, hey. We're not done here. We're not done here. Don't worry. We're getting close. We've so, still got the blown up. Don't hate me. We still, we got still a have to deal with the steering box. Ones. Yeah. I'm sorry. Don't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, after, you know, all the brain power required to get the Jeep with no track bar down the trail, uh, it did take a minute to figure out that raptor straps weren't going to work and we were just going to have to winch the body straight and then just pray it didn't fall off the body as we drove it straight down the hill once we got him situated continued on our way not too bad and then probably uh 20 minutes maybe less down the trail uh we hit another couple blue obstacles and a black obstacle and the steering box from the other rig that had had issues with the steering box coming loose had sheared off. The upper bolt ripped straight through the frame, and the lower two bolts had uh, broken because they were bending. This is probably probably could have been prevented if we had uh, taken a closer look at that, but we didn't, and uh, we had to we had to leave number two. You know, and he was fortunately he was in a good spot. He had been able to sort of just pull straight ahead again into a spot till we could figure out how to. Uh, get him fixed. And his fix actually was uh, we got the other Jeep after welding the track bar back on off the off the trails back in the lot. Uh, took the steering box bolts out of that Jeep brought them back in, put them in the other Jeep because two of the box bolts had broken. Fortunately there was a pretty easy uh, you know green access trail to get out. So we got those bolts in drove the Jeep out then swapped the bolts back into the other Jeep and and that was really, you know, all we had for brakes. A, a lot of the uh, the oh, black trails that we, we had, had. had for brakes, yeah. I'm not going to count my my steering box or my power steering running low on fluid because that was just uh, me being dumb and not having the fluid with me, and you're not keeping an eye on that top of that steering box, which had not been properly tightened before I'd went in. It's been a slow issue over the past few months. Uh, for the context, I had put this, I'd rebuilt this box. I had destroyed the worm gear on a different one, so I had you know, cobbled a bunch together and made one working box because I had a few spares lying around. But I was in a rush. I think we were trying to go to, we were going somewhere. I don't think this was Roush. And maybe it was your place. I don't know what the deal was, but I know I was rushing because I didn't have, I couldn't. I didn't want to buy another box, but I also didn't want to want to have to deal with uh, transferring everything. Again. I mean, either way, with the way my uh, hydro ports are set up, I can take the parts and put them on a new box. So buying a new box versus having a couple spares doesn't really change what I have to do. I have to, I still have to take all those pieces and put them on. I have a, a fitting on the top and a fitting on the front with a new cap on the front. It's kind of an interesting setup. I've never seen one like it. Um, I would be interested in trying that setup. It seems like it makes replacing everything a little bit easier, but it teaches you how to work on the steering box too, which is kind of a, you know, a, a scary, scary area for a lot of people. I bet. 
It shouldn't yeah, be too bad as I... long as you know how to not fuck it up. If you don't know how to not fuck it up, you'll fuck it up every time. I've done it three times at this point. Three perfectly good boxes destroyed because one of those stupid marbles fell into the wrong spot. And then you just chew up the gear and then it doesn't work right. But if yeah. you take time, it's not too bad. But yeah, I just had to fill up on power fluid and, and then I was good to go. And I tightened those bolts in the top. I just hadn't, I'd slapped the box together, didn't tighten those top bolts down enough. And I can't access them because two of the bolts sit underneath the radiator. So I can only get them with a hand wrench. Uh, and I think I got them pretty good. It wasn't leaking after, but the issue it has is when it builds pressure, it just, it spurts them out. So mm. I think we got that solved. Uh, the fluid I filled it up with was a stop leak power steering fluid. Never heard of that. Uh, it'll stop the leaks. Uh, if it causes problems down the road, I've got no one to blame but myself. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was really it for us. The, the trails were awesome, though, especially early in the day. There was a lot of traction and it was just, you know, it's been, hasn't been too long, probably like a month since we've last been out. So it was good to get yeah. out and stretch the legs, especially since, you know, with the holiday season and everything coming up. I'm looking to, you know, get settle down with the Jeep and take some parts out because uh, I mean, the truck's just about done. I've got a little bit more cleanup to do to, you know, fully get that out of my buddy's way. Uh, he's, I've got parts sitting at his shop, and then I can fully focus on uh, some other things I've got going on with my Jeep. But yeah. either way, that's we're we're moving out of the territory of weekly recap here. Yeah, we're getting into red team uh, build plans. Yeah, Luke, yeah. red team. How did the red team do? Well, my whole day was quite entertaining. I started it at 5.15 in the morning to go wheeling. Uh, met up with Kish by 6 a.m. Spent two and a half hours in the truck going there, and I was pissed, so we were fucking flying, like, doing 75 the whole way with the Jeep. Um, what were you pissed about? I know, he woke up late, I forgot too. to ask. Uh, no, I woke up. That's nothing. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> I, honestly, I was mad because sleep it in. I went to my favorite, like, there's a little, it's like a coffee truck. It's like a food truck, but they do coffee. So mm-hmm. I show up there. It's like 545 in the morning. I'm on perfectly on time to go and meet Kish. And I'm like, yo, what's up? And he's like, oh, not much. Um, Yeah, it's going to be like 20 minutes till I'm set up. And I'm like, fuck. That's not good. I'm supposed to be there because I'm volunteering to be the spotter for the red group at, you know, 830. So I'm sorry, dude. You know, I go to McDonald's. McDonald's isn't fucking ready either. And they don't open till six and it's like 548. And so I got to sit in line at McDonald's to get told that they don't have coffee, nor do they have any breakfast supplies ready. Okay. Then Dunkin' Donuts got my order wrong twice. Mm. Like, how hard is it to do a large hot coffee, four creams, two sugars? Now, the Um, lesson of the story is make your own coffee. It's not hard. I forgot to do that the night before. I normally set up a pot, and we were out of K-Cups. So, Mm. I was going to... The Keurig really makes it easy. I just filled up my my little thermos thing. Yeah. Drank it the whole way over. I was good to go. I think we were out. I'm. I didn't see them. I wasn't really awake, and I was just going. Listen, if you're out of coffee, you have to buy coffee before you run out. This is, you know, just amateur hour all over the place. You've got no one to blame but yourself. Oh no, there is absolutely <laughs> no one to blame but myself. And then traffic there was hor—not horrible, but like annoying. So, yeah. Uh, All right. the red well, we don't want to hear phenomenal. about your drive to the road, the, to the, yeah, no, the red let's talk about the phenomenal. red trails. Uh, we had a Toyota buggy on 44 boggers. Them things were cut. And let me tell you, they're fucking assault weapons. You want to destroy a trail in 20 seconds? We make a red into a red. It mm. was cool. Um, we had, uh, CJ on 41 something pit bulls. And we had a YJ on 38 bog or not boggers, uh, swampers, but never run 16 fives. They don't have the safety bead running around the tire, uh, to help keep the rim, uh, not the rim. Wow. The tire 
in the appropriate place on the rim. So you just blow beads all day, even if you keep them at like 13 PSI. We uh, inflated that three times. And let me tell you, brake fluid does not work nearly as well as starting fluid for mounting a tire. Mm, I wouldn't expect it to. Yeah, it was fun. Um, Colin was also there with his Raygon 37s, Dana 44, Dana 60. Um, he was the really, gunner, right? I, I heard some stories no. that he was having issues because the, all the bigger guys were digging everything out. No, we made him, or I'm not, wow. Yeah, he was the gunner, not the lead. He was supposed to be the lead, but he didn't know the property. And it wasn't even that. It was just he was driving extremely conservative because the trails were tight and he didn't want to blow the 44 up. So he ended up getting into a couple of situations on baloney skins that, you know. Especially later in the day with the baloney skins, it's he was starting to thaw out. It wasn't nearly as great. Uh, traction wise especially when you don't have any tread on your tire to actually grab anything so no and it started snowing lightly but yeah, it was lightly. getting a it little was, bit of it was water and stuff on there and running those trails on baloney skins all the traction is important um otherwise though it was uneventful they've done some really good stuff the trails i'm really looking forward to trying to get my jeep down um, there's going to be quite a few spots where I'm going to possibly not be able to do it and have to winch or back out just because of what my rig is and being full bodied and I'm opposed to the level of body damage that that will cause. Mm. Yeah. Some of those, the ones I've seen look pretty gnarly or some of them do other ones look doable. Yeah. They actually look pretty fun on a dry day on a wet day. I don't know. I don't know. I'll take them on on a dry day without a problem. On a wet day, no. And there's a couple where I just don't have the travel to do it. Mm-hmm. But, um, Kish, you had mm-hmm. the blue group, which to me looked like it was the largest. I saw that you guys had a full-size Bronco in there, which was kind of cool. Um, and I know you guys had a couple JKs, a YJ. seemed like the group was decently diverse and kept moving pretty good. At least yeah, when we I, ran into you. I have to agree with you there. We we had a pretty diverse group compared to the others. And I could be mistaken, but I do believe we had one of the bigger groups that day. But uh, yeah, the, the blue trails, they were great. They were fun. For me personally, they were all relatively easy. And uh, yeah, the the Bronco was by far my favorite part of Blue Trail. Just having a full size out on the trail with us, and he 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 did pretty all right for you know being a relatively stock Bronco. And it was the uh, what is it? The Bronco Two, I think, is a big body. Yeah, it's like classic OJ Bronco. I was kind of surprised to see it in the Blue Group. Honestly, I figured <clears> it would. That would well, probably be so uh, he green had, group contender, but I guess if you've from, got experience, from my understanding, and I very well could be wrong here, but I believe he had told me he had just picked up the Bronco, and he was told that it had a posi rear, which it had a pretty tight posi rear, but the mm-hmm. front end was supposed to be locked, and I don't know if it was simply not actually locked or if the locker was broken in some way. Mm. But well, it's one of those stupid electric lockers. Not, no, it what was it? A uh, a uh, Healy? Healy? He, Healy coil? Yeah, yeah, that whatever Helicoil? you just said, Luke. Oh, oh, I know what he's talking about. Um similar to like the Gov bombs where they get actuated by spinning one tire and like it causes like oh it's one of those like gear ones right that the volvos use yeah i think that's what he's whatever it was whatever it was it wasn't working Mm. yeah i've heard that those things fail often but that's an odd choice for a locker either way it was still a good group and it was kind of cool to see melissa driving at least melissa did not drive huh that That was all rob was rob driving whole time 
Huh. Oh, because I saw Melissa in it at one point, I'm pretty sure. When uh, she, I think it was coming to get the high lift jack or something. Rob may have. Uh... I thought she walked oh, to no. it. I thought she walked to get the high lift jack. Oh, I no, I Melissa... might be wrong, but I thought. Did she, did drove... she drive the Jeep? Yeah, I think I Melissa was definitely. No, uh, Rob, Rob told me that she walked. She was driving at least for some portions of it because Rob was busy dealing with all the broken uh, black trail jeeps. Yeah, that might have been that. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that it it might have been like as me. Yeah, no, because we did leave before. Yeah. Others. Either way, though, I'm pretty sure I saw her driving, and that's cool. I seen her driving Jucket, and that's entertaining. But yeah, but Jucket's like cheating almost because body damage isn't a thing. It's just yeah. Jucket. Well, I will give. Well, I also found out. I also found out that uh, her fender flares are not metal. Hmm. Because on split on split rock, Rob laid the fender right into that rock, and it just bent out of the way. And as soon as he was clear of the rock, it sprung hmm. right back. I was like, "Oh my god!" I was expecting that thing to be twisted up like a pretzel. <laughs> I hope I don't twist my rear fenders up like a pretzel. That that would be uh quite saddening. Hmm. I will say I'll, I'll Yeah, but you deserve I'll it. I'll give props to Rob for setting up those uh those different routes for everybody. That trail's got a lot of intertwining trails mm. and you can I I know we've had issues in the past with open runs where you know the green group gets you know is on a trail and the blue group's trying to go across the trail and the Green groups in the way, so you can't you have to wait until some of the green guys can move out of the way. And I, we never had that. I issue. know from what I saw, we did not actually run into any group. We, we saw Luke's group off on the side. We, you know, we waved, say, said hi. I gave Luke a cigarette. We were all happy go lucky. You know, no. we that every goddamn time when we get in the truck. I am fucking said something to me. I was just trying to ask for them less around her, but you know. Hey, what? Uh, the only time we had an <laughs> issue was we we had waited ten. minutes ish. our initial route lined up with your initial route so we had hit the back into your group as you were finishing up that first tight turn i i believe there was hill. something similar with the green group too like just just for me overhearing conversation mm. that the green group and the blue group were going to be running like the same initial green trail for a while so mm. we had to like really speak Base out the two groups so there wasn't a conflict. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, we didn't we didn't run into anybody else. I don't know if that's just because. Uh, no, we did run into you. We did when you were on uh, not split rock that rock that um we or that I've done a couple of times and you've done yeah, a couple yeah. of times. None of us were making it up at that point. I think that was like the last stop for us. That was the last obstacle we were going to try to hit. So everybody had sort of just, and there's a kind of a clearing there too. So everybody had sort of just circled the wagons to some extent. And we were, anybody who wanted to try was giving it a try. That was probably the best part of the whole day for me was, you know, getting up on those and having absolutely no luck on, on trails that usually we can just walk up for the most part. I've, I've never had an issue, uh, going up that at any point previously. And I couldn't even make it up the first step this time and then watching some of the um the wrangler guys make it just as far with way smaller rigs was pretty cool and trying some different lines and uh the orange yj diesel swapped yj you know he he put on a show he was he was going well that you know, would be andy he, yeah he, he was that. uh initially you know he was trying to crawl it and get up it but you know at a certain point uh he realized, as I had realized on on my first pass, before I did eventually give up. You know, we're trying to you know, not 
jig up the trail too much and hold up everybody else. You know, I had to concede defeat. Uh, but once you know he figured out that crawling wasn't working for his wheelbase and his tire size, you know, he was just hammering on it, and it was a blast to watch. <laughs> yeah, he. Um, I talked with him after the mass or after uh, wheeling, because I saw him and I recognized his face, but like I didn't see his rig, and it didn't quite connect with me until I saw like on his Snapchat story that he was coming back from wheeling, and I was like, "Yo." You were there, and he was like, "Yeah, no, I had a great time. I'm looking at joining, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, he should definitely join. Awesome, that is awesome. Um, we used to wheel with him and wheeling mass holes when he had, I think it was a four cylinder in that thing with an AX5 on 33s with a Dana 30 and 35. It's yeah. still got the cool AX5. Back then. It's still got it? the AX5. Pretty sure he yep. had like everything you don't want. That's uh. That's impressive. I'm kind of amazed yeah. that it's living. I don't know how it hasn't blown up, but something uh, tells me eventually okay. he'll be going AX15. Yeah, it's an easy enough swap. He's already got True. all the bits and pieces. Um, yeah. Anything else on this, or you want to move on to tools? Because uh, I think talking I think about we're that. I uh, our main discussion at this point. Yeah. 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 Um, so. You definitely need tools if you're talking about putting Mercedes motors into a Jeep. Uh, same thing for one tons. For me, the most important tool I ever bought was a goddamn Harbor Freight breaker bar. Just because the thing has kicked around with me for probably five or six years, hasn't broken, and does its job every damn time. Hmm. That's impressive. I've broken a few breaker bars. Three footers and the two footers. I've got the longer one. It's the it was the biggest one that they had in half inch when I was there. I bought mm-hmm. like two of them, and it's just been good to me. It, it's sloppy as hell, and I'm not gonna be surprised if it breaks next month. But you know, yeah. At the same time, I've had it for five years and it hasn't broken yet. And uh, the next thing for me would be the welder. And I think this is a topic that deserves a little bit of discussion because, Graham, I know that everything on your Jeep's been done with a 140, correct? Yep. Hobart 140. Normal ass wall socket. Yep. I think it prefers the. I'm not no electrician. I don't know what the standards are today, but I know it's. I think it prefers a. It's either a 20 amp or a 30 amp. I can't remember what the standard... There's a new standard for wall outlets, and I think it's 20 amp. But the old standard is like 15 or something. If it's not that, it's like 20 amp was the old standard, and 30 is the new standard or something. Either yeah, way. I, I follow what I'm, you're saying. I'm pretty sure the new 30 amp. Yeah, okay. I believe that, because my shop's 20, and I used to pop that with my 140 all the time. But the moral of this is, if you are getting into off-roading and you can get yourself to the point of competence with welding you can do a lot with a 140 and taking your time Mm. to do it you know i trust graham's cage 100 percent, and it was fully done with a 140 um i mean everything really all the bracketry i've done it definitely took a little bit to get the hang of you know how how much stuff's got to be heated up before i can get good penetration really the key is just uh, you know, preheating. You can you can get a similar level of weld with the 140. And it takes longer because you've got to heat stuff up, and there's some more finesse to it. I'd say because it's you know it's a lower power welder, so you're sort of just relying on the heat of the metal to melt itself for you to some extent. I'm no professional welder, but everything I have for the most part sticks. A uh, couple things that haven't stuck haven't been too critical. Yeah. Um Kish, what would it be for you? That's a bit of a tough one for me. I mean part of me just wants to say good old fashioned mini sludge. Cause <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> it's it's a little it's it's the caveman coming out in me, but I find a good hard whack fix a lot of problems. But in actuality, I'd have to pr- 
probably say just a a decent like half inch drive ratchet. You can yeah. you can you know break your lug nuts loose on your tire with a half inch ratchet. You know, most of the work that me and Luke do at the shop are with a half inch. You know, we're, we're able to disassemble almost the entire vehicle with just a ratchet. And yep. sometimes with a breaker bar from Harbor Freight. Mm. Well, especially just, if you're just starting out and you don't have impact, you don't have air tools, you don't have electric tools. Right? Well, yeah. E- even, even doing everything as long as I personally have been doing, still 100% prefer using hand, hand tools over impact guns, over air tools. That's just because you're dumb. The only reason I don't have them is because I'm poor. I really want to go out and buy a Milwaukee. I know they're worth the money. Mm. But every time that I get the money for that girlfriend's computer craps out, the Jeep needs coilovers. Oh, hey, look, Dana 20. Uh, What's that? Brownells is having, or not Brownells, wow. Um, Midwest Gunworks is having a sale. Looks like that's going to be 800 bucks out the door. You know what I mean? Well, you say it's because I'm dumb. I say it's because I'm a purist. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Luddite. (laughs) Uh, No, there's something to be said about having having some solid uh, hand tools, though. I think definitely... Part of it is also just you become dependent on your power tool sometimes. Yep. Yep. I, I do know some people that they don't know how to even take off their tires without an impact i can't take my tires off without an impact because i get in trouble with my impact and i tighten them too much and that's why well, I that's because you're weak and you, <laughs> that's because you you're weak and you have to use the impact yes because you're small I'm a, yes i'm a twig i, I won't <laughs> deny it i do yep. not have the, the strength that you ha- you possess with your sledgehammer uh, <laughs> but i i will say uh in a similar vein to you richie the biggest thing that I found early on that made an impact for me was getting a solid three uh, eighths ratchet. And before, yeah, you know, when I was first getting started, uh, I had a bunch of like crappy. Um, I don't even think they were craftsmen. They were like no name brand ratchets, and I'd break them constantly. Just you know, this, it'd shear right at the the yep. the socket I'd... end, right? Nothing but problems, and I'd. And I'd use the half-inch ratchet when that one broke, and then I'd end up breaking the adapters just because I was dumb. And it was just a constant fight with breaking like just shitty tools. And then my buddy actually had a a blue a broken blue point three-eighths ratchet. He was like, he worked at a, he works at a shop still. Um, he was like, I'll take this in, I'll see if they can swap it out, and I'll give it to you because they'll give it to me for me for free. And he, you know, was just lying around. It wasn't doing anybody any good. So he did that. He got a, they can't give him a blue point, but they gave him a snap on to replace it. And I've been using that since. Like for anything that's not, uh, you know, half inch, that's that's what I use. It's been my go-to ratchet for probably four years. I love the thing to death. I'm not nice to it. Uh, and it, it, it just still keeps on kicking. And just having you know, tools that don't break that's Every interesting. Time you use them is I was when I was getting into it, I bought um all Harbor Freight Impact half inch sockets because I was we were running on a super tight budget and it was one of those things where like I can buy the half inch impact sockets with the breaker bar and um I always bought craftsman half inch ratchets because they were like mm-hmm. twenty bucks. So it was like you go to Harbor Freight, you get your socket set for 20 bucks. You buy the ratchet for 20 bucks. You know, for $40 worth of sockets, you can now do a lot. And I never ended up buying any 3A stuff. Like, I don't think I own anything other than a couple of spark plug sockets that's 3A. There are, there are very few odd and end sockets that we have, like, no clue how they got there in the uh, shop toolbox. That are three-eighths. Yeah, everything else is half or quarter. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely not using a lot of three eight stuff to work on my shit nowadays too much. But I mean, for engine work, like little oh, yeah. stuff, like it, it's made a it definitely made a world of a difference early on when I was starting. Uh, really, the second thing that I'd say that as far as simple things is what you just said the the Harbor Freight impact sockets. Mm-hmm. I've got a set. It's just the American or the the standard Pittsburgh. set Pittsburgh impact sockets, and I've haven't lost a single one. I've had them for two years. And they're in a really Impressive. crappy package. They're in a really crappy package. And I just have to uh, make sure they all go back to their home. Um, I don't know where one is. I'm not going to consider it lost because I haven't looked for it. As soon as I look for it, I'm sure I'll find it. It's probably just in the tool bag. And then I can put it back with its friends. Um, but those were huge as well. Part of the reason that stuff at my shop stays as, you know, Harbor Freight is. I have a little bit of an issue with losing my sockets. Like mm. they'll end up in the trail bag and I'll forget about them. And then the trail bag will get opened and get moved repetitively. And like a socket will fall out. And I've had two or three of them yeet themselves through the uh, floor. Uh, I lost one at Roush actually, which kind of upset <laughs> me because it, it was a 13 16th uh, Harbor Freight socket, which if you know anything about Super Duty axles, is what you use for your lug nuts. Now I have to use a 21 millimeter. Mm. So they're easy to replace. Yeah, easy enough. I'm fortunate I haven't lost... I've lost plenty of sockets, but I haven't lost any of that set because I am very did, diligent about keeping it together because I like it so much. Mm. Um, One tool that I will say that has gotten a lot more use excuse me, um, for me would be the, uh, I bought a Rogue Fab tube bender because I wanted to do the cage with, and I got it with the 1.75 die and a Northern Air Over Hydro Cylinder. And now that I'm redoing all the body on my Jeep, every couple of days I'm down there and I'm doing tube bending and then I bought a Harbor Freight 220 um, 190 machine for sale, at, or on sale, I'm sorry, at uh, Tractor Supply when they had their Black Friday sale last year. And the thing's just been a champ. So those are my two most like used tools now. Yeah. Yeah, I think welders uh, definitely not crazy important when you're starting out and just doing. Uh, basic bolt-on stuff, especially on a Cherokee. It's not not a required component, but I will say, you know, my little 140 Hobart that we sort of talked about has has served me well for quite a while. I had no idea how to weld when I first started. We started with a, I think me and a few friends in the, the local area had chipped in on a just the the 90 amp Harbor Freight, like the hundred dollar thing, right? And the thing welded like shit. It was junk. We got a couple okay welds out of it, but it was never, never. I don't know if I'd ever trust any. I'm sure you, if you were a decent welder, you could probably get it to penetrate something, but we didn't know how to weld. And I guarantee you it wasn't penetrating anything. But it was good for sheet metal work. There was a couple little things, you know, we had done here and there that sort of got, got me used to all that. I'm not saying you should buy the Harbor Freight one. I, I guess if, if you really wanted to just dip your toes in it might be okay but the hobart i got i think it was like 600 bucks and i've been i've been running that thing for three years or so i've tweaked my setup with that a little bit i ran at flux core for the longest time i did like probably half the work on my jeep has been done in flux core with that welder and it came out pretty good i'm I'm working outside in a driveway majority of the time so you can use gas outside uh, I've, I have switched to gas since I stopped with the flux core, and I'm still working outside majority of the time. And it it definitely welds better, but the flux core is just once you get used to it, it's not too too bad. Yeah, I know that Kish did 
his full stiffeners in his basement with uh, my old 140 Lincoln machine that I had at my shop. Yep, um, and I hated every minute of it. <laughs> I fucking hate flux core. Yep. Like I change over. I can I consider myself a pretty decent welder, but I I struggle so fucking hard with flux core. It's totally I different. I don't know why. It, it, mm. The the method I feel like is I mean I'm gonna sound like an idiot because I'm not a welder, but I feel like you have to. There's a totally different um, routine you've got to do with flux core to get it to weld right. And I, I oh, know yeah, I it, was having it's issues. It's a completely different ball game. Yeah, I know I was having issues when I switched over to gas because I've been welding flux for so long. And it was like all my welds just look like shit. It didn't take long for me to switch back or switch over to gas because it's way easier to get a good weld with gas. But definitely initially, I wasn't I wasn't one hundred percent convinced because everything I'd done with the flux core after I'd gotten really used to the flux core was way better than some of the initial stuff I was putting out with gas, which I thought was interesting. And then, Luke, you did mention the Rogue Fab Bender. I've got one as well. It's a great little thing. It's not too expensive. Uh, I think I'm into mine for a total of 1000 which is a lot of money if you're just getting into off-roading. But when you start hitting the point where, you know, we're, you're talking about a roll cage, you're talking about, you know, shock hoops and all that other fun stuff, and you start going down the spiral, it becomes one of those things where the cost rapidly becomes way more justified to buy the nice one. Um, when I was first getting into the idea of building a cage, I wanted to buy the affordable bender because it looked like it was, you know, decent for the money. But at the same time, to have bought that, I would have reduced the ability to even measure the bends as well as I can now, because right now what I do is I have a indicator with a adjustable zero. I put that on the tube and I make sure it's centered and then uh, I just do the bend and I can measure my spring back by just releasing the hydraulic cylinder. So for the critical bends, it's a lot easier than not even having the markers and it does one degree a second. So if I want to do a 180 degree bend, it takes me about two minutes. It's not that bad, or about three minutes, I should say. It's not that bad at all when you consider how much work it would be to set up something else, and time is money. Yeah, and uh, remind me again, Graham, how long it takes you to do an equivalent bend, Mr. Uh, uh, Pumper? Well, I've got to row the boat for a good, good chunk of time. I did not do too, too many. I don't think I did a single 180 bend, so uh, I was not sitting there rowing the boat for uh, probably over five minutes. But the 90 degrees, I don't know if I did 90 degrees either. I think I the close or the the furthest bend I had was probably like an 85. I might be wrong, but that one those took a while. The initial halo was was quite the process to get that right that i'd never bent any tube before and that's a pretty big chunk i think it's like 18 feet total uh to start working on and it it was it, it's it's a compound bend to some extent there's there's a few bends in there to get that set up right ahead i think there's four total maybe five in the middle i don't think i bent it in the middle but uh, it's a lot of tube to be manhandling and throwing around in the bender, especially if you've never bent anything before. No, you got to hope it comes out just right. And you got lucky with your not lucky. If you take your time and you pay attention to what you are doing and you triple check every measurement, you will have far better luck than just yeeting it and hoping for the best. It, it definitely wasn't sitting how I wanted when I first bent it because I knew I needed. I had a, what was it? Um, I had bent it. Initially, I hadn't put any bend to account for the, the front of the windshield. 
Yeah. You really, need, you really need to give it a little bit of a bend upward for the windshield. And I hadn't done that enough. And initially wasn't looking that great. I think I added like a three degree bend or maybe a little bit more, maybe a five, uh, a little bit above the door. So my K, the halo actually uh, bends up right, right in front of the door. I'm not a hundred percent a fan of how how it looks, but it definitely still looks fairly clean. And uh, I mean, if I had done it again, I that, that issue would not exist. But um, it's part of the learning process. Yeah, your cage is fine. Yeah, but I also like your cage though. No, I like it. There was there was definitely a specific way I was trying to you know go about that halo because a lot of people do it very differently, and I'm, I'm happy with. <laughs> how mine came out yeah um to tie it back into tools another thing that really matters a lot is a good angle grinder when i was doing my cage i killed i think it was a porter and cable angle grinder that thing served us for like four and a half years and i have zero ragrats about it dying but I picked up a Dewalt corded angle grinder as a replacement for it, and I'm fairly happy about that. I picked up that Dewalt. Okay, Kish <laughs> grabbed it, but that was partial payment for I, working on his shitbox. I liked the Dewalt shit that we use at my place of work so much that I actually went ahead and got myself a Dewalt and because I'm always using it down at the shop, it became the shop's DeWalt grinder. <laughs> yes, yes, it did. However, we've done a fuck ton of shit to your shit box there. So, it got appropriated. Yeah, well, like I said, it it was always getting used at the DeWalt, at, <laughs> at the DeWalt plate, at the yeah, shop. Um, so it became the shop DeWalt. But the thing with... Uh, to tie that back in, when I did my A-pillar spreader, I have the two compound bends that meet into the compound uh, notches to try and get my tubes going back to the back of the body pretty straight. And then, you know, I had to lay it over hard into a tree at Badlands, like the third trip out and bend my roll cage. But that's cool. It's fine. Everything's already. okay. Uh to piggyback off your angle grinder uh, comment there, I've got I've now got two Makita grinders. First one I got early on in the process. This was, you know, to cut the fenders and do all the classic Cherokee things. Uh, I've had that one at least four years and it's still running strong. It might need a new cable at some point because I've, I've nicked it a couple times. I think it's only got two wires running to it at this point i think the third one got lost somewhere and <laughs> it's got some duct tape over it now because it was a little sketchy but it's still running strong it's got no problems it gets a little hot but that's the designated cutting wheel and then i have another makita which doesn't have as nice of a trigger it's it's more of a you know it's one of those push triggers that you can lock in it's harder yep. to use so i use that one more as a grinder because it's sketchier to use as a cutter because it can stay running way easier. Fair enough. Um, if I make a change, I'm thinking about going over to the uh, full Dewalt lineup, like just getting their kit, because uh, Cody knows some people that have fairly good prices on that. Yeah. Like their 20-volt stuff seems kind of nice. It's not as nice as Milwaukee, but at the same time, not a full-blown fab shop. Uh, let's see, Kish. What are you running for yeah. rear shocks? Because I know that we had to weld on your um mounts at the shop uh after Badlands. Why I did we have do? to do that? Okay, so I I believe we talked a little bit about it before, but I ended up blowing the carrier bearing. In the rear end, in my eight and a quarter, like the week before Badlands. So I rushed, picked up another axle, threw it underneath the Jeep without really looking at it too much, only to discover that the shock mount 
which weren't the factory shock mounts that were on that axle. They were they were uh inboarded into the uh diff by like four or five were, inches or so. Were they inboarded but or were they, they sitting they, up they taller? Sat, they sat closer to the diff than the factory shocks, but they were also halfway up the axle tube. Yeah, they were centered. To the, yeah, they, they were closer to the center line of the tube than the factory mount. So mm. not only were they closer together, but they were also higher up. And so when I tried throwing my shock, I believe your Bill Stings, Luke, back Is that what you're on, running? Yeah. Yeah, All the, right. The rear has a built has your bills, and the front have has just the auto parts stored shock. But I ended up with like less than half an of up travel before the shock bottomed out. Mm. So, so my Jeep didn't go to Badlands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sucks. I did a similar thing yeah. with uh, Cody's Dana Forty Four. Uh, he's got a unless he changed it. He's got no. A, he's got that. We uh yeah. we kept his current lift shocks because he thought they were too short. But when we put them on his rear axle, they matched up perfectly. They had like yep. save some four money. Use travel. a shorter shock. Save some and ground clearance. That, that that was my. Worry. I didn't want to get new shocks. What did you end up doing to fix it? I just I completely removed those mounts I took the shock mounts off of Cody's 35 and welded them on yeah. oh is that the video I saw at some point yes. on your Instagram of you asking yep. how, how it's you know how you oh, that, that was a funny and, video I don't remember the context me, of the and comment, you see me but... using a hammer to remove the shock the rest of the way <laughs> For context on this, we cut a square around the uh, welds on oh, the Oh, that's right. Shock now. <laughs> yeah, I, and so I just cut the tube straight. So, I didn't bother actually trimming the fucking shock mounts off. I just cut the tube right off because we were trying to, we, we were rushing to get the shock mounts off so that way the axle could go to the scrapyard the next day. Yeah. So he just cut around the welds. We didn't bother to grind them out. So he just picks up a hammer and hits the shock mount after he's cut around all the welds straight through the tube. And you watch the shock mount come off and you can see the axle shaft underneath in all its glory. That was a great video. I got a covered in grit. (laughs) Ah, good times. Um, But the reason I brought this up is I wanted to talk about shocks for a little bit. I feel like. A lot of people spend a lot of money on shocks, and it's a good thing to spend a lot of money on, but you don't have to. You know, um, I run some of the blacks and some of the red trails on Monroe F250 rear, uh, no, I'm sorry, F150 rear shocks from like a 90s F2 or F150 because they were the correct length and the valving was almost okay and bearable. So I threw those in there with some super duty rear shocks because I was broke at the time that I did my build and I wheeled two seasons and drove it with a very nice suspension under it. It rode o- rode okay. It was a little stiff, but I think I have 125 bucks worth of shocks on my rig and I need to start dropping more money. Um, Kish, you said you had the Bilsteins in the back. I wasn't sure if those were mine or if you'd grab them from somewhere else. No, nope, they are that, your hand-me-down. And I know that Graham is running foxes in the rear with Bilsteins up front. So I figured that there's a decent point of view from all budget aspects. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I personally, not to cut you off, Graham. No, it's fine. But uh, I... I personally definitely feel as though if all you can afford is your, you know, auto parts store brand specials, I mean, by all fucking means, run them. 
Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what we've done for years. Yeah, I, I, I do notice a difference between my rear shocks and my front shock. But the fronts do just fine. They do. And with the limited amount of money that is spent by getting the correct length shock, you gain a lot more from having extra lengths or the correct lengths to match your suspension travel. It's far more useful than sometimes just ordering a off of the shelf, like a Skyjacker Cherokee three inch lift shock. If you can find something that has a little bit closer to what your compressed or decompressed lengths are, you can get more travel out of your suspension for similar amounts of money spent. And I think that, you know, when you're just looking into getting into wheeling, you know, you're doing your first lift kit, that's not something that's going to come to mind. But having the appropriate amount of travel for your suspension, not too much droop, nor too much up travel matters. Because if you have too much droop, you just lose the sprung weight and it can be helpful, but flex doesn't always just get you down the trail. It's also you pop coils on the trails. Yeah. Lucky. Hey, yeah, it was uh, always fun go running down Ma Bell trying to catch those coil springs. <laughs> uh, that wasn't because of that, though. That was because I broke the bump stop tower. Oh, uh, that's right. That's why. Okay. Yeah, it would have been fine if the bump stop would have stayed attached, but the bump yeah. stop decided to yeet itself. Yeah, I'm just dealing... Jacob's dealing with that now. He needs you know some good way to keep those coils in. But he also wants to have some flex, and those coils aren't going to sit in with the shocks he has and the amount of flex he wants. So we got to figure out some, uh, you know, either bump stop tower to hold it in on the top, and some sort of mounting uh, plate on the bottom that is better than the rotted out factory mounts. Yeah, I would imagine you might be able to get something like one of those rough stuff plates if it's the F2 or F150 like I'm thinking about and just drill yep. some offset holes in it with the big bolt in the center to keep that mounted to the lower radius arm. And for context, we're talking about a 70s Ford radius arm here. We're not talking about on a Jeep. Mm -hmm. So they use like a flat plate, if I remember correctly. Uh, but it's got like kind of a bend up to hold the inside or the outer edge of the bottom of the coil. Uh, there's supposed to be a mounting tab at the top. It's in New England and over 40 years old at this point. So those are gone. Those don't exist. The coils are held in purely by the weight of the vehicle sitting on top of them and you know, the remnants of the bottom of the coil bucket. And, um, it's not ideal as it sits. I think it's supposed to be mounted uh, firmly with tabs at the bottom and the top. But I yeah. bet you if you were articulating it with the current spring in there, it would even if the tab wasn't rotted out, it would probably just shred right out. So he's got some you know, work to do to keep that spring in place. You know, we're trying to do this on a budget too because the 44 9 inch the thing has in it is not its final form. We are going to be swapping those out at some point. So. To get it on the trail, we have to put some something in to keep it wheelable, and so you can work on it without the spring popping out every three seconds. We'll see what we come up with. Um, it's going to be a fun project, though, because it's not a Cherokee. It's a new platform. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely interesting. Yeah, sorry to segue away from shocks a little bit. Uh, but I'll bring no, it that, back. That I'll bring it back here. Sense, mm -hmm. I'll bring it back. I'm not one to talk about front shocks because I've never owned a decent set of shocks in the front. I've got Bilstein's in the front. Yes, Bilstein is an okay brand, I'd think. But the ones I got were not new. I got them used for 100 bucks for four of them. So I probably bought them after they were hosed. So my front suspension's always been a little under shock absorbed, I'd say. Before that, it was just rough country shocks that had probably been in there for two and a half years before I eventually swapped them. Um, the back, I will say, rides pretty nice. I, I 
when Colin went coilovers in the front, he sold me his shocks that were in his front end, and I'm now running them in the back of mine. I think they're 14-inch travel shocks. So it's definitely more than those leaf springs need. Um, granted, the leaf springs still flex like crazy, so it's probably not a bad thing. But the back is... Yeah. I, I can't. I don't have any complaints about the back or the rear suspension on my Jeep. It, I think I've said this before. It, it's why I'm hesitant to do a, a coilover four-link setup in the back. It just, as it sits, it works really well. There's some things in the front that I'm not 100% happy with, but yeah, I think all around it's okay. Yeah, that was the reason that I'm going coilover in the rear. Now, th- to tie all this in a little bit better with what I was talking about earlier about the budgeting and all that, you know, for someone that is running 35s or 33s on like a rough country lift, you will be very happy with a set of Bilsteins. If you're trying to get every inch of 14 inches of travel or 16 inches of travel and you want it to fully um, be adjustable to match your rig, it's worth spending more money because the more money you spend, the more tunability you get in general. You know, Fox, uh, I think even the new Terraflexes are pretty decent. Um, Profender, Redflow, those are all fairly decent shocks that work pretty well. Yeah, I think the point you're trying to hit all around though is shocks are more of a nitpicky thing. Uh, Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, depending on how heavy your rig is, it definitely, uh, you know, you might not want a, you know, a a gas charge shock in a a lighter rig you might need one in a heavier rig i'd think right yeah i would agree with that um the other thing with it is it's like it all de- it's one of those things where it fits to the rig more than it does to like you have to work within your budget and you also have to work within what's what you want out of your rig you know if you're building a light buggy, you can get away with air shocks because if you've got a Toyota four-cylinder and it's a single-seater, those will work great. If you're building a cheap Cherokee to go and, you know, weld the rear axle, throw a lunchbox in, a set of white bodies, honestly, they're going to be just fine. It's better to get the length correct, and you will get more performance out of that than you know, ordering a slightly more expensive shock if you can't afford it. And then from there, it just becomes a nitpick about your ride quality. Yeah. But, uh, sure. I think that we've covered a fairly decent amount today. What do you guys think? Yeah, Yeah. totally. Uh, you want to cut it here? I think we're good to cut it here. All right. Until Until next time, keep it tire side down.